This is Daniel Fagella of Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. We're focusing this week on the industry of healthcare. In our own enterprise research work here at Emerge, healthcare and financial services are among the two big sectors where we operate. And when people think healthcare, for us, often it's going to be life sciences, drug discovery, clinical trials. These are domains where we have a lot of experience in both presentations and enterprise market research, competitive analysis. But people often don't think about healthcare revenue recovery, the wild and circuitous ways in which insurance and healthcare and individuals uh, exchange money when it comes to treatments for cancer or poison ivy or a broken arm is myriad and Byzantine and confusing. And recovering that revenue as a healthcare facility is critical for survival. There's a lot of strains on healthcare facilities. Obviously, COVID has done them no help. And we speak this week with Peter Durlach, who's the SVP of Healthcare Strategy at Nuance Communications. Nuance is a multi-billion dollar AI-based software firm based here in the Massachusetts area. They're based up in Burlington, a little bit above where I'm sitting as I record this today. And Peter goes into detail as to how AI can help improve the revenue recovery workflow. And as he goes through this use case, I hope that you as the listener can imagine similar kinds of workflows and processes within your own business that might be influenced by AI as well. Again, these use cases are always intended to crack open ideas, to become AI fluent, which is our goal here at Emerge, to help executives and companies become AI fluent and unlock the potential of AI. You got to be able to understand the use case landscape. And sometimes it's interesting use cases from outside your sector that help open up the most productive and fruitful ideas. And Peter does a great job of laying into the use case today, so I hope you enjoy this episode. And I also want to give a big thank you to the last person to leave us a review on iTunes, which is now called Apple Podcasts. I'm going to read a little bit of this review because it made me and the team smile today, and so I wanted to share it with you. The title is Incredibly Informative from a Data and Strategy Perspective. This podcast is so well done, and as a data strategist, I'm a bit obsessed with how well Daniel and the guests manage to balance clear business objectives and extremely effective data product and project management. The discussions aren't too techy, nor are they too glossy and salesy. Excellent podcast. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we really work hard to find the right tone and to find the right insights that are going to deliver for our listeners. Our listeners tend to be AI catalysts, whether they work within a big enterprise or whether they work as an outside firm that needs to find AI opportunities and unlock ROI. I appreciate having you as a listener. And if you're listening into this program and you want to support the show, be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Pretty easy to find AI and business podcast. Drop us a five-star review. Let us know what you like about the program. It's reviews like this that help us continue to craft and manage our editorial calendar and our interview activity to be able to deliver value to listeners like you. This stuff really lights us up and makes us smile. So drop us a five-star review. Let us know what you like about the show and uh, help support the program as we continue to bring the best guests to light for you here on the AI and Business Podcast. So that's all for the intro here. Without further ado, let's fly right in. This is Peter Durlach with Nuance here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Peter, I want to talk about revenue recovery in the healthcare space. You had mentioned kind of before we started recording here how much of a hit a lot of hospitals have taken in terms of revenue recently. I'd love to talk about what those shifts have been and sort of why this is so much of an issue now. And then we can move into AI from there. Be happy to. Yeah. So, and again, it's not that patients are next to how much money the hospital, the physician is 
is making, but it's actually really important because if they don't survive, you're not going to get medical care. So yep. let me let me paint the picture for you. Prior to COVID hitting the average hospital's operating margin, their profit was low single digits, two or three percent. So most hospitals in the U.S. and the physicians that work for them don't make a lot of money overall relative to the expenses they have to do because more people are getting sick, reimbursements going down, drugs are more expensive, all the issues you know about in the global situation around healthcare being so unaffordable. We all feel this with our deductibles going up as, as these costs keep skyrocketing. So on the hospital side, they're all operating on very thin margins. And then what happened is COVID hit. And beyond the part that everyone knows about of COVID as, as citizens, the other thing that you're maybe less familiar to your audience, unless they live in the healthcare arena, is when the federal government and the state governments mandated that hospitals stop doing elective procedures and people were scared of coming out of their home, the revenue over the last few months for hospitals and physician practices dropped 50 to 60% in the country, estimated over 50 billion a month in lost revenue. And even with the subsidies that the feds passed in the CARES Act, that's just a fraction of what they lost. So most yeah. every hospital and physician practice is losing money, has been losing money over the last few months, and they're in a very critical situation for them if they don't get those rates back up to close to what they were before, they're going to be at risk of going out of business. This is especially true in rural and less populated areas where you have smaller, less, less capitalized healthcare facilities. So this is an issue we all have to worry about because in healthcare, what we say is no money, no mission. So if you don't get the money to pay for what you do, you can't take care of people. So it, yep. it's a really huge issue right now in the industry. Yeah. Okay. So, so this is the broad dynamic that we're, people might be listening to this when we're a little bit farther out of the virus, but clearly this economic hit is not something that, oh, you know, three months went by and hey, we're back up to snuff. It's like, this is, right. this is a recovery here. And this is a, a significant, you know, you're talking about a massive dip in revenue for some of these firms. So when it comes to sort of how artificial intelligence can, can maybe help out, I know there's a couple of junctures that you guys yeah. are sort of operating on. I want to talk about maybe those workflows as they are today, and then we'll talk a little bit about where artificial intelligence fits in. So if you could address right. kind of where those key junctures are for helping with this revenue issue, that'd be great. Right. So the, the revenue for a healthcare organization is basically based on three factors. Number one is how many patients do they see and what type of services do the patients consume? Two is what contracts the provider has with the insurance companies to pay them. What are their rates? And three is, which is the most probably one that's not clear at all. Those first two are probably seem pretty self-evident, one would imagine. The third one is very healthcare specific, which is in healthcare, you don't get paid for what you actually do. You get paid for what you document you do. If you do not document accurately what care you delivered and what the medical condition of the patient is, you actually don't get paid the appropriate amount. And what this is in healthcare, this is basically the idea is the sicker the patient and the more you do for them, the more you should get paid. But that yeah. is all determined by what you document. Because yeah. without that, they don't, there's no way for the insurance company through the claims and billing system for them to know how sick the person is and what you did. So that all ends up as coding that flows to the insurance companies. So 
that's the way, those are the three drivers today. Putting the, the second one aside for a minute, the contracted rates, because that's just a kind of a business negotiation. Let me talk about the core of, of how this is done today um, in these two buckets, starting with the, you only get paid for what you document. What happens today is clinicians are very rushed. They see you in these 15 minute increments. And then between visits at the end of the day, they try to remember what was wrong with you and what they did. And they, and they just whip out a quick note. Okay. Then what happens is there's a group of people in the hospital that look at these notes along with the rest of your medical record. And they try to figure out what you did and what was wrong. And then they code that in something called ICD-10, which is just a coding mechanism in healthcare. That then sent as a claim to the insurance company that then hopefully reimburses the hospital. So it's a massive manual process where you have reams of people who look through all these complex medical records to try to figure out what the right codes are through these massive code books that are thousands of various permutations. It would, it would blow your head if you actually oh, yeah. you know? And then they try to figure out what the right code is to do. And that's how it works. That's how it works today. Purely manual, based on incomplete and rushed documentation with a constant changing set of rules around what's appropriate to code. Got it. So this is like the tax code, sort of, you know, really advanced accountants got to stay on top of all these little shoots and ladders of if then scenarios and things that cancel out other things and whatever the case may be. Totally great analogy, Dan. Yeah. That's a great metaphor for exactly. And, and it, it's even worse <laughs> because if you can imagine anything worse than the tax code, yeah, right. I mean, imagine there's the rules that are changing, but when you fill out the tax forms, you know, there's very specific rules for deductions and how you can claim this. And healthcare, that side of the, 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 the equation of what you can deduct or not is massively more complex than the actual tax rules. And then you have the rules by the government that are changing all the time. So you combine those two things together, it's even worse. Okay, so now I'm getting a picture of the problem. We're having these quick dictations and these quick scribbled notes. Someone, so the physician needs to sign off on those notes, of course, but then someone else other than the physician, whose probably full-time job is to read, you know, this gargantuan, complicated labyrinth. They are the ones going in and scoring and attesting to this patient has these issues and these actual things were done for them. And if those are tracked incorrectly, then maybe we don't get paid. Maybe we have to fix something. Maybe something gets held up. There's just all kinds of financial issues with that potentially. So now I guess it comes down to where artificial intelligence fits in. I've got some ideas already in my head just hearing the, the problem itself, but but where for you guys does AI start to make its way into this big uh, right. clunky problem? It's a great question and, and yeah, your description is very good. Um, so where AI fits in today, kind of this next generation technology is around what's called clinical documentation improvement or computer assisted physician documentation. So there's two components, but conceptually what happens is there's an electronic pipe between the electronic health system and our AI that sits in the cloud that in real time processes all of the information about the patient, including these notes. And then the AI, as if they were a human, think of this as like robotic process automation in a way, okay? So instead of the human having to go parse through these complex records, the software knows everything about the patient and knows what all these rules are, okay? That's been encoded in the software. So what the software does is say, ah, based on what's been done with this patient, I think that what actually should be documented is X. 
Okay, and then what it can do is in real time, when the clinician is documenting, it provides guidance as AI sort of clinical guideline support in the workflow. So the physician, while they're dictating, this piece of software can actually alert them in a non-obtrusive way to say, hey, it looks like this patient has these four clinical indicators. You describe the condition as X, but it seems like it's more like Y. Is that correct? So the clinician doesn't have to remember all these rules about coding and billing, which they don't care about. Yeah, of course They just not. care about yeah. taking care of the patient. So it can do that. Secondly, those group of people in the back office that you mentioned before, instead of them having to manually look through the chart, the software scans the entire medical record and all the notes and then prioritizes for them, hey, these are the ones where it looks like the biggest delta is between what actually got done and what's wrong with the patient, how sick they are, versus what's been documented. Hmm. You need to focus here. Okay. And work with the clinician there. So we, the AI both helps the clinician in real time do the right thing up front so they don't have to be bothered later and helps that army of people in the back become more effective and efficient. And the result of those two elements of the same software for a large health system can generate 50, 100, 150 million dollars more a year in revenue that's appropriate without any change in how many patients they see what the patients come in for, or any changes in the contractual rates with the payer. It's just about accurately describing what was done. Yeah, not missing the the ball. That's it. And I imagine you'd have to be a pretty big healthcare system to move numbers like the ones you just articulated. But I get the point. Regardless, you could see the efficiency side and you can see the revenue side based on what you've described. I mean, I can see both sides of the coin there. So I'm imagining, I'm just going to clarify the workflow a little bit more before we wrap on this one, but this is a really interesting use case. Such a, just these garbled, crazy things that happen in different industries that you just don't have a good corollary for, right? There's some sectors that just don't have this, this problem, but it's a great, I think, sort of highlight of what AI can do in in obscure workflows like this. One thing I'm imagining is the doc leaves the room, he or she looks at their phone, you know, they have whatever app they're using for this kind of dictation, and they're laying out sort of what, what happened and whatever else they have to actually manually track. And while that's happening, there's some kind of a prompt that might say, hey, you know, you've just dictated this, but the patient record actually has, has, you know, this particular like uh, appended term or condition or whatever, like, are we sure about this? And they can click maybe a yes or no in those different phases. Is, is that the right way to imagine it for the, the physician? Yeah, it, it generally is. And the, the other thing why clinicians like this, because clinicians are often less focused on the coding than they are on the oh, care. Wait, yeah, yeah, if they don't describe what's wrong with the patient correctly, completely, let's put it that way, and accurately, the next time they look at that, take care of the patient or someone else in the care team, it actually improves the quality of the care too, because if they haven't described everything appropriate, the next person that looks and is rushing are more likely to make mistakes. So it's yeah. not just the revenue recovery, it's a quality, but yes. And what happens for the clinicians is what happens today is that those set of humans in the background, if they find something missing, they bother the physician with a question later. And what the clinician has to do then, like this could be- remember. They have to they remember. They have to remember. They have to log back into the record. They said, is this Pete Gerlach or Joe Smith? What did I do? So they get even more frustrated. This leads back to this other problem around physician burnout. So for the clinician, getting it done once where the patient's story is fresh in their mind is really good for them. Super important. Super important. Super important. It's efficiency. But then for the organization and for the physician, it helps them get paid appropriately, which goes back to this idea of if they can't get the money that they're owed, 
we have a real problem with keeping these healthcare institutions in business. So it's good for everybody. Yeah, yeah. So th- you brought up two sort of elements here. One is uh, the stack, so to speak, of notes that then have to be manually appended with codes. That stack can be prioritized based on which of them might have issues, you know, based right. on what was dictated versus what we've screened and scraped with AI from the actual patient record itself. We, we see disparities. Apparently, these systems are trained. That's a that's a very industry-specific thing. I imagine there's a lot of training that goes into that. But relative stacking feels pretty viable to me. The number of permutations of things the doctor could say that could hypothetically mesh or not mesh with this ever-evolving, unbelievably complicated code feels much less immediately tractable by artificial intelligence. I imagine there's some areas of the code that are common enough across physicians and some areas that maybe are easy enough to scrape from the patient record where we know how to compare it where that kind of prompt for the doc is viable. And then there's plenty of others where it's like, look, man, our system is absolutely not going to pull up, you know, code 10.6.225A9.7 that was updated two months ago. Like, it's just not. I'm sorry. So how does that work? You know, there's only a certain number of prompts we can realistically train a system on. We can't hyper-customize it per doctor per real time, but we still need it to be useful. How do you square that as a company? Yeah, it's a great question. So let me explain a little how this works. The rules do change, but they are they are the same for every hospital in the U.S. So it's mandated by the government. Yep, so yep, we're not yeah, dealing sure. with customizing by hospitals. So when they update the rules every few years, it's set. Okay, so it does change, but it's not this like completely uncontrollable set of variables. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. The second thing, and although sure it optimize it works better on certain sets of data than others, what happens is, and this is the beauty of healthcare. We have this massive labor pool that is taking documents and manually coding them or using AI to do it. Yeah, Yeah, we have a massive supervised learning machine at scale, which makes us very different than everybody else. So, for example, if a new rule came in, we suddenly get hundreds of thousands of human assisted in in that second example, human exists example. So the system learns. So yeah, maybe in the beginning, if this new thing came out, we're not as accurate. You might not have as many examples. But we learn. So that's number one, which is a huge, huge thing. The secondly is like most things, 80% of the value is in 20% of the codes. Of course. Of course. So so this is amazing how the 80-20 rule seems to work everywhere. I don't know how this works, but it does. So where most of the gaps are and where most of the leakage on revenue is and quality are in pockets of this 80-20 rule. And so the system has learned that 20%, you know, that the real high value stuff incredibly well. So yes, there may be some edge condition where it's often it doesn't have enough confidence. But in general, if you look at the overall breadth of the volume, the real value is not the full set. It's a smaller set, like in many things. So those two things make it so you're right. There's We're not equally performing across all the codes. But if you really step back and you say, where's the meat? We're really yep. good at core and that's what people yeah. pay for basically. and that's a really important distinction i think any any vendor obviously you know you guys are credible enough to be beyond this phase but any vendor that sort of claims to do it all with with equal ability it's it's just not tractable especially for a problem like that i think when you're building a product that has to people are going to pay for what you're doing here you have right. to say well if we're really going to master this sort of patient recommend or this physician recommendation while they're dictating like we could start with A and go to Z, but that's not what we should do. We should look at the highest volume things that are the most reliably detected through our dictation that you know we believe are going to save people the most time, 
that you know that they're both technically possible and they're going to deliver patient value. Like you, you've got to think about that. It sounds like you guys have, but also you do have the advantage of being in a sector where so much data is being manually scored so much. And that's a really, really cool advantage that I think healthcare has that some folks, I, I bet there's a lot of people in financial services that are pretty, they're not normally jealous of all the issues that healthcare has, but they're probably jealous about that cool data fun fact that you guys right. have that they often don't. So anyway, I know that's all we had for this use case. Peter, thanks for joining us again here on the podcast. Appreciate it, Dan. Thanks for the time. So that's all for this episode. A big thank you to Peter for joining us on this episode. And thank you to you for listening all the way through to the end. If you're not already connected with Emerge on social, please feel free to do so. You can find us at at E-M-E-R-J on Twitter or Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research on LinkedIn or on Facebook, where you'll not only get all of our latest interviews, but also our latest articles infographics and more so be sure to stay connected with us on social media and otherwise stay connected and stay plugged in right here on the podcast because i'm looking forward to catching you on thursday's episode because we're going to be talking about ai adoption so stay tuned and catch up soon